Larry and Connie Van Oosten were looking forward to a quiet retirement in the small, peaceful town of Erie, Illinois. Like a lot of people that you probably know, they had worked hard and planned well. Little did they know that someone else had spent over a year and a half working on a plan to kidnap them, steal their retirement savings, and then, who knows? Hey, everybody, welcome to The Unlovely Truth. I'm your host, private investigator Lori Morrison, and I'm so glad that you're here with me for another story from the world of true crime. We're going to see where it intersects with our faith and then join forces to talk about how we can be a different kind of PI, a person of impact. This is Season 3, Episode 21. This week and next, we're going to be diving into the book Rescued for a Reason by Larry and Connie themselves as told to A.L. Rogers. Lori Prather, our Unlovely Truth Tribe chaplain, is going to join us and we'll pull some lessons out of this book and apply them in our own lives. A question that most of us have to wrestle with sooner or later is, when disaster strikes, what do we do to hold on to our faith? And that's the question that just kept bouncing around in my brain as I read this story. Now, hopefully, no one is out there plotting to kidnap you or me, but I think we can pull some really important lessons out of how Connie and Larry made it through their ordeal, which all started back in the early morning hours of February 7th, 2017. Connie was woken out of a deep sleep by screams from her husband. Opening her eyes, she saw a stranger dressed entirely in black in their bedroom, and he had just shot Larry with a taser. The stranger commanded both of them to lie face down and not look at him. Now, pausing for a moment, can you even imagine how they must have felt? I would have thought, I hope this is all just a bad, terrible dream. And Connie began to pray out loud, asking desperately for God's help. And the man started mocking her, saying, where is your God now? That probably would have shut me up right there especially since the man was now pointing a gun at them. But Larry, he boldly told that man in black that God was right there with them and that he could and would forgive this man. And the stranger in black just didn't want to hear it. Now, how many times have you and I tried to share that same truth with somebody and they just didn't want to hear it? The man handcuffed both Connie and Larry, and then he left the room for a moment. Larry asked Connie if she was ready to meet Jesus. And I have to ask again, can you even imagine? Well, first of all, just being in that situation. And then secondly, having the presence of mind to just shove your fear aside so that you could lean on Jesus. I don't even always remember to pray before I start stuffing food in my mouth at mealtime. So it's amazing to me how Larry could just immediately go there. And then he described that this peace came over him. He said it was like, and I love the way he phrased it, an irrational lack of fear. I've got a lot of things that I irrationally feel in my life. I would love to have an irrational lack of fear. Only God can do that. Unfortunately, it didn't last long because the intruder came back, and this time when he left, he took Connie with him. It was because he needed her to give him the information that he would need to access all of the couple's bank accounts. He also forced her to call and cancel any appointments that she and Larry had over the next few days and then tell their own children and their friends that they were just going out of town for a bit so that they wouldn't be hearing from them and not to worry. He then forced both of them to sign papers that would give him access to their life savings. Then 
He put them in the trunk of his car. Trying again to imagine your terror level as things just escalate and escalate and escalate. He'd put them in the car because he was going to drive them to another location where he had a special bunker that he had built just to keep them in after the kidnapping. He had been planning this for like a year and a half. You might be asking yourself why Connie and Larry didn't try to get some help, screaming, banging on the the trunk lid, anything. But this man was smart, and he told them that he was only one person in a gang who had planned this, and that there were others watching them. And then once he got them into this bunker, he told them there were cameras and voice recorders capturing every sound and every move they made. The next day, the man took Connie away from Larry again. He had her arrange with her bank to come pick out a check that she directed them to make out to a company she'd never heard of. Once they got there, a bank employee needed her to sign papers before he could release the check. Her captor was waiting out in the car, and Connie was smart enough to ask if she could use the restroom. While she was in there trying to think of some way to alert people to what was going on, she rummaged through her purse and found an old church bulletin. She wrote a note telling what had happened to her and Larry and that her kidnapper was outside watching them. I got to say, that's probably the best use of an old church bulletin I have ever heard of. And the employee did a great job of not completely freaking out because that would have put Larry's life in further danger. Footage of his car had been recorded by the bank's new security cameras and the bank manager called 911. When you're done listening to this week's episode, I hope you'll head over to my website, theunlovelytruth.com, and check out all the different resources I have there for you. You can read blog posts. You can download a free copy of your own five-day devotional based on the story of the Good Samaritan. Or you can join my membership site if you want more behind-the-scenes content that isn't available to anyone outside the membership group. Remember, that's theunlovelytruth.com. I hope you'll check out everything that I put there just for you. Local authorities called the Van Oosten's son, Jeff, and they all raced to Connie and Larry's house. They quickly found a broken basement window where the kidnapper had entered the house. Even though Jeff dreaded making this call, he knew that he had to call his sister, Amy. He didn't realize at first that he was the number one suspect. And of course he was. You and I know they're going to look at the husband. They're going to look at kids. They're going to look at business associates. Anybody that's closely related in time or relationship, they're always going to look at them first. But of course, all Jeff was thinking about was finding his mom and dad. And by now, the FBI had gotten involved. They had Jeff call his father's cell phone as he did every day. The kidnapper had made the Van Oostens bring their cell phones with them because he would need that for them to get access to their accounts. The FBI began interviewing everyone who had contact with Larry and Connie. When authorities checked out the company that the kidnapper insisted that the check from the bank had to be made out to, Jeff was shocked. He knew the man associated with that phony company. We're going to find out who that man was next week. But right now, we're going to talk with our Unlovely Truth chaplain, Lori Prather. She's a pastor, a teacher, a speaker, and one of my very dearest friends. 
She's also just about one of the godliest women that I know. So I wanted to have her join us to talk about keeping our faith when we're facing really tough times. It is always so exciting to welcome back our Unlovely Truth Tribe chaplain, our very own Lori Prather. Hello. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited too. too. This is this is a perfect story for you. It really it is. is because you had a childhood dream to be an FBI agent and there's there's FBI agents in this story and it happened in your home state of Illinois. Go Illinois. <laughs> so it's totally <laughs> perfect. And there's so much going on in this that we're splitting into to two different sessions. Absolutely. Or episodes, rather. So let's just dive in because there's okay. so much going on. Now, these poor people. Oh, my gosh. Larry and Connie. They had someone break into their house in the middle of the night. He's got a gun. He's got a taser. And he actually tases Larry. And Connie thinks he's been shot. And she cries out, God help us. And the intruder actually stops and looks at her and asks her, where is your God now? Which I got to say does kind of sound like a reasonable question given the circumstances. But I think all of us at some point have a where is my God now moment. So what do we do when we are feeling overwhelmed and we're despairing? Sure. And I think you're right. I think the fact that the intruder asks that question says a lot about his relationship with and understanding of God. But how many times have we said the same thing? God, where are you? And I think the key is we rarely say it when everything is going well and perfect (laughs) and great and fun. And if we just take a step back and go, oh yeah, God is either always here or he's not. He is not just a God of goodness and good things. He is a God who has a relationship with you. And there's a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about how God does not leave you. God is always there. God is always present. We may not always feel it. You know, we've certainly gone, I've gone through times in my life where the presence of God has felt differently or more distance, but he's still there. And I think the reason it is mentioned so often is because God knows his children and knows that when things are going very badly is often when we feel like he has left us. And again, it comes back to our understanding that a relationship with God does not mean everything will always go perfectly. So therefore, an absence of goodness does not equal an absence of God. Well, I love the way you put that. And these people, I would love to meet Larry and Connie sometime. I agree. Because they've been kidnapped they're, they're right in the moment. This is brand new trauma. They have no idea what's going on. And they're trying to tell this guy, hey, you can be forgiven. We don't have, well, and part of it, definitely self-preservation. We don't right, have right. to keep going <laughs> down this road. It's okay. We stop now. God can forgive you. And, you know, I think that happens to all of us that he just wasn't interested. And so what do we do, you know, when we're trying people that that we care about, we're trying to tell them, you know, hey, whatever's gone on, you know, I've done stuff too. We can all be forgiven. And they're just not interested. How how do you overcome that if you can? Right. First of all, I have to say that I have always thought through when you go into those worst case scenarios in your head, 
my thought process has thought process has always been having a conversation about God, being honest with them about not even just trying to convince them, but like, I'm okay. Cause I know where I'm going. And so I think it's funny that you're right. Part of why they went there wasn't just preservation. I think it was just the heart of who they are. But in a general sense, when we're talking non-traumatic situation and we have those people who don't want to listen and it falls on deaf ears, as the Bible often calls it, I think what we all ultimately have to remember is that it is not our responsibility. That person's decision is not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to share the gospel. Our responsibility is to share God's love in both our verbal testimony, our stories, but also in how we love and how we act. That is where our responsibility ends. We can only control what we can do. And that's easier said than done. I know when you have a loved one who doesn't want to hear it, but ultimately that is the case. We are not God and therefore we can't control other people's opinion of God or their decision about it. All we can do is put it out there and put it out there in a way that is loving and kind and respectful of who they are and where they are in life. And my little control freaky heart kind of hates that. (laughs) Exactly. You know, I want to say, if I say the right thing, if I do the right thing, they'll go, aha, you're right. And I need to to think this, and it, that's just not how it works. Now, and I also think we have to remember, I was just having this conversation with someone the other day, because most of my ministry, I spent so much time in, in children's ministry, that there's many, 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 many seeds I've planted over the years that I have no idea how much they've grown or where they took off and when they didn't. And sometimes we have to remember that too. What looks like someone isn't getting it or isn't listening, you don't know what the next person's conversation will do, that maybe you're just planting the seed. You don't get to see it all the way to fruition. Or if it's not a loved one or someone you spend time with all the time, you just may not ever get to know where that conversation goes. It may seem like it didn't do anything, but how many times have have we heard stories from people when on deathbeds in the hospital, suddenly all those conversations believers have had with them over the years kicks in and they get it, you know? So who are we to also judge? And I think we have to be careful about that too. Again, in a (laughs) non-traumatic situation. Yeah. And again, this, this is an area obviously that I need to work on with my heart because I want to know these things, but (laughs) I'll know when it's my time to know. That's right. And it, it amazed me that as Larry and Connie, you know, they're taken away from their home in the middle of the night, just they're blindfolded, all they're bound, all these horrible things. And then they get imprisoned in this little pre-made dungeon kind of a thing that this guy had made for them. Wow. They still managed to have enough faith to pray a very specific prayer. They ask God to help them prepare to meet Jesus. Mm. And God was so gracious, he flooded them with peace, but then their abductor decided to separate them. And, you know, then that that kind of shattered that peace, as you can well imagine. How do we keep our faith levels up 
when we're alone because that that's one of the reasons he wanted to separate them it's easier to control people it's easier to keep people in fear and in bondage when you make them think they're alone absolutely and and we often on these conversations in these conversations talk about the importance of community and i think that proves the importance of community because you're absolutely right the enemy if you sort of extrapolate this situation the enemy tries to do to us exactly what the intruder did to them the enemy i believe loved many aspects of the pandemic because it isolated so many of us and there's so many ways he can do that i get hurt at a church and so i will never go to church again well bam community gone he wins you know there's so many different ways that the enemy works that but absolutely that's exactly right and when i think of the two of them i even think about part of i think why their faith shattered in that moment not their faith but the peace shattered is that their faith was so built on their faith together which is beautiful and not wrong but if they hadn't done a lot of walking in their faith on their own and so i think it's important as much as we talk about community it's so important I think this shows also the importance of your faith has to be your faith. And again, in the kids ministry world, what I have often phrased that as at some point, it can no longer be your parents' faith or your grandparents' faith. It has to be your own. It can no longer be your spouse's faith or your kid's faith. You know, put any word in there. It has to be your own. So I would almost ask the question and put the challenge out there of, what are you doing right now in your walk to strengthen your own faith? Is it a daily devotional that you do on your own? Is it a podcast or two or five that you listen to? Whatever it is, you know, we're kind of, again, we always talk about how important community is, and it is. But if you only experience faith in a community setting, and you've never wrestled with it on your own, and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. And I'm not saying that they didn't. Obviously, they were in a very high-stress scenario. But when we talk about how easy it is to feel isolated and alone, then we have to talk about that. We have to make sure we understand our own relationship with Jesus. And I, and I think that when we talk about that loneliness that's exactly what faith is about because faith and a belief in Jesus isn't very tangible. It's, I can't pick it up. I can't touch it. I can't put it on. I can't sit it in my lap, which is so much of what our world is. We live in a very tangible world, especially in the country we live in. And so even just, just asking yourself that question, if suddenly I could no longer pick up a Bible. If I didn't have access to the internet, if I couldn't talk to my faithful friends, what could I remember on my own? What have I committed to memory? What do I know about Jesus? So I think these are some great challenging questions to ask ourselves about where we where we kind of lie in our relationship with Jesus and what do we know and what have we committed into our hearts and minds enough that if we're suddenly taken from all of that, that we typically rely on as believers, what are we, what are we, what am I going to be left with? You make such a great point about community. And I think we have to remember that it's community with, with other people, but it's also community 
with a God that manifests himself in three persons. He was community from the beginning. That's how much he valued it. And so you're exactly right. If we do get cut off from that community, are we still going to be able to maintain that faith with the community with an, an unseen God? Absolutely. And Lori, I just have to say, John 14, 16 is one of the places you will find where it says, I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. And so we're not going to, we could spend 14 episodes just talking about the Holy Spirit, (laughs) but, or I could anyway, it's a favorite topic of mine. But again, I think it's important to understand when you are all alone, you're never really all alone because he has left an advocate, the Holy Spirit lives within you if you're a believer. And so just remembering that and and even that takes practice of hearing the Spirit and discerning the Spirit. And so there's another sort of avenue to take of just that spiritual practice of discernment and listening to the Spirit. And how much time do I just said, sort of spend alone with God? And I'm going to have a Captain Obvious moment here, but, you know, <laughs> we talk about the trauma that they were just suddenly introduced to, that's kind of the nature of trauma. You can't really prepare for it. It just suddenly is upon you. And if you're not prepared with your faith, the way they seem to be, then it will be more of a struggle. So, you know, don't wait till times are tough to, to turn and try to build your faith then. Build it now so that you can survive when times are tough. Absolutely. And, and let me just add that the fact that they, maybe we would say wavered for a minute, which like you said, I mean, look at what they were going through. But I just want to, I feel like this is a good place to add, regardless of what you're going through. If you waver, if you have moments of doubt, that's okay. God still doesn't turn your back. You're forgiven. He loves you. And and maybe there's just someone who needs to hear that now that we're, none of us are perfect. And so we're all going to have moments like they did where things got tough and our faith wavered and we didn't know what to do. That's okay. Don't let that stop you. Again, that's where the enemy wants to bring on shame and I'm done. I, well, then I blew it. You can blow it a thousand times with our God, thankfully, and he's still there for you. Speaking of the enemy, there's a segue for you. <laughs> this, this guy was so prepared. He had planned this mission of his down to the very last detail. And I use that word mission deliberately because I want yes. all of us to think about what might our lives look like if we lived as on mission, as intentional for God, as this guy did for his own evil intents. Uh, the world we, we would turn the world upside down. Absolutely. And I think that that's a common notion out there. Like you hear that question a lot in faith-based communities of if we all <laughs> just put ourselves, I mean, just, just ask this question. If you even put yourself second three times a day, what would that look like? I mean, you can break it down into the most minute possibilities, but absolutely. And and I feel like this episode for me keeps coming back to challenging questions to ask ourselves. Yes. And that would be, 
what is it that I am most passionate about? Is maybe, you know, I may not feel like I'm on mission for anything. What am I passionate about? And I've always heard there are easy ways to figure out what your passions are. Look where you spend your money and look where you spend your time. You know, I mean, I'm not, this is not rocket science. And so you're right. Like, obviously, in order for him to pull off what he did, he spent a lot of time and what little money he did had went 100% into all the equipment and tools he needed for this to take place. And so if you think of that, like asking how much of my time and how much of my resources or tools or money, however you want to ask it, am I putting toward this mission of sharing the gospel? Oh, exactly. And, you know, next week, we will dive into a lot more about motivations, um, some surprising things will be happening. I don't want to give too much away. <laughs> Fascinating story. But um, you'll be back with us. We'll talk some more. I will. And um, it's amazing to me, you know, you and I have talked when I first started this podcast and, and somebody had suggested to me, oh, you know, big part of, of who you are is your faith. Can you connect that with true crime? And I was like, uh, how does that exactly work? But, you know, we, we see that in, in this story. There are so many parallels. Yep. And so, you know, we're not going to figure everything out in this life. But I think having these tough conversations, wrestling with these tough questions, that is how we grow. Well, and I think of this couple in particular, but probably any victim would say if someone else can learn from my trauma or from my experience or my situation. And it's not just, well, I learned how to not get kidnapped. You know, there's right. the, the, there's no umbrella. There's no cap to what we can learn. And I think, especially for this couple, because we know they, they had a faith component that was really big in their life. I think they would love that the trauma and the experience they went through is leading to us having these conversations, which will hope, hopefully just make us better followers of Jesus. Yes. And as they said, they really felt like they were saved for a purpose. Yeah. And they meant saved from the kidnapper. Right. But if all of us <laughs> have been saved from that, that person that would steal our souls, if, right. if not our bodies, we were all saved for a purpose as well. So just digging in and figuring Perfect. out what that purpose is and then saying, I'm going to walk in that purpose. I'm going to help others as I glorify God by doing what he built me to do. It cannot be said any better than that. <laughs> oh, well, hey, I should have you on every week if you're going to say such nice things. So, all right, well, we're going to, we're going to wrap it up there for this week. But remember, You've got to come back next week. Yes. You've got to see how things turned out for Larry and Connie. You've got to see how things turned out for their kidnapper. And you've got to see how some of Lori's childhood dreams <laughs> turned out for her. So you don't want to miss it. We will see you all next week. And thank you for joining us. If you're going through a tough time, I want you to take comfort from the words of Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3, 
from the Christian Standard Bible. God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid, though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the seas, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with its turmoil. I've never been kidnapped, but I've been through some fairly tough times, and I know you have too. Maybe, like the kidnapper, you ask where God was in the midst of these terrible things. But as today's passage remind us, he's always found in times of trouble. Always. Where we lose our way is when we fix our eyes on the problem and not on God. So if you're walking through a difficult time right now, I hope that you'll take some time and memorize this verse, meditate on it often. Our practical action step today is a challenge. I want us all to find someone who is in the middle of a hard time. I guarantee you, you won't have to look far. Be the person who gently reminds them how much God cares. And he cares so much that he sent you to serve them. Ask them what they need and then praise God for sending you to fill that need. Don't forget to check out the show notes where you'll find links to helpful information about this episode. You can also sign up for my email list and that way you'll always know if there's a new blog post or something exciting happening. The Unlovely Truth is written and produced by me, Lori Morrison. Music is by Neocortex and the artwork is by Shelby Highland. See you all next time. Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app. 